Hi, I am Ola. I started Tells with Ola to talk about living experiences, life experiences, and lived experiences. My podcast aims to create awareness, education, and understanding of real-life issues. Also, to demystify the assumptions and conceptions around real-life issues. In wrapping up the first season, I had questions from the experiences, journeys, and stories shared by my guests. Hence, this impacts many series to answer comments and questions. Enjoy. Today on our Impact Mini series, we'll be talking about selective mutism. So we spoke to Miss M a while back, and there were some questions that came out of that. So Miss M spoke to us about her professional journey and how she came to be a young teacher. And today we're just going to get right into it. Hello and welcome back, Miss M. Hi, thanks for having me again. And thank you for your time again. So what is selective mutism? Uh, to put it as simply as I can, selective mutism is a kind of anxiety disorder. It's most common in children. Um, it's not a learning disability, but it's often linked to them, such as autism. Um, it's basically where a child struggles to or has an inability to speak in certain social settings. So it's known as selective mutism because these children can speak and they do speak in environments where they feel comfortable and safe and relaxed. Um, and it also differs with each child depending on where they feel comfortable. Uh, mm. But, yeah, in certain situations they don't feel comfortable enough to talk and so they might whisper, uh, they might only talk to some people in that environment or they just might not talk at all. All right, okay. So it could, it's selective, it's in the name as well. So they talk in certain times where they feel most comfortable, perhaps. Yeah, definitely. And um, it's really interesting too because with selective mutism, it's very rare that they're mute in all settings. So they are definitely being selective in where they feel comfortable enough to talk. Right. And why is it important to get a professional diagnosis? Because sometimes it can go, well, you know, they talk in certain areas or they feel comfortable in certain settings. But why do you feel it's necessary to get a professional diagnosis? Yeah, I think uh, sometimes selective mutism, when it's not diagnosed, people often think, oh, my child's just a bit shy in this area. They'll grow out of it or they'll move on or they'll find friends. Um, in reality, the earlier child a child is diagnosed with selective mutism, the earlier they can be treated and therefore the quicker there's a response to that treatment, which is usually psychological and behaviour therapies. Um, mm -hmm. If a child remains mute for a lot of years, it's a really hard habit to break. So really mm -hmm. getting that diagnosis when you start to believe there's a problem is extremely important. And because it's an anxiety disorder, if it's not treated or addressed in the right way there can be consequences that impact the child's life and you know that can be academic social emotional there are so many repercussions that come with that right and this could even well go into adulthood if it's not treated or diagnosed Hello, Ada. Oh I'm so sorry. You've just dropped out on me. Can you repeat oh, that? Oh, no. I said, and this can go on into adulthood, if not treated, of course. You know, it can go on to affect them in their adulthood life as well. 
Yeah, uh, look, a lot of children do eventually tend to work through their selective mutism and mainly the anxiety that causes that to occur. And sometimes there's a really clear breakthrough, other times it's more gradual. It really does depend on the child. Um, but, yeah, if it's treated appropriately, because the child and the people around them have worked so hard to understand those anxieties, it does tend to go away. But, yeah, it can persist into adulthood. And a lot of the time that is if it's not treated or if it's linked to a disability and it's not treated appropriately. Hmm. So what are the possible signs and symptoms? You know, I've kind of mentioned how a student doesn't talk or a child doesn't talk in certain environments. Mm. That's a really obvious one. But from what you'd see on the outside, the child seems really quite normal. A lot of the time when they're in an environment that doesn't make them feel uncomfortable, they seem like any other child. They're laughing, they're playing, they're talking to their friends. So I think that the sign is that there are those special environments or situations where they don't feel comfortable enough to talk. But Mm -hmm. also a lot of the signs are really linked to anxiety as well. So um, they might have a bit of a blank expression they might not smile as often they could have really awkward body language also there are things like they'll turn their head away from conversations they might chew on things or avoid eye contact to try and not have to be involved in social um, situations and then sometimes they'll just stand up and move away from a social group in general so all of those signs and symptoms that are associated with selective mutism are also really heavily associated with the anxiety and discomfort too. Right, right. And, you know, I know you've mentioned, I was going to say, are there any physical signs, but you did say that, you know, they could they will move away from social settings, they will turn their head away. I wonder if freezing, because a mom was saying to me that, you know, of course, you know, it's not easy to diagnose with just one symptom, but she did say that her son will freeze sometimes especially when he's been spoken to. Could that be, again, it's not one size fits all, but are there any other physical symptoms and could this, could this be a symptom as well, freezing on the spot? Yeah, definitely. Um, a lot of the experience that I have with selective mutism is also linked with autism and that comes along with that disability as well. And that's really common to see selective mutism linked to other disabilities. Freezing and a blank expression is almost like a child's way of not knowing how to react quickly in a situation. And I feel like the reason that that's a difficulty for children with selective mutism is because they haven't been able to be a part of those social situations and they haven't been able to build those social skills. So freezing or not being sure how to react or not being able to show certain expressions all kind of links into that. So it's definitely, if that's something that you're seeing and the child isn't talking, I would definitely say that that's a related symptom to it. Right. So how can this um, selective mutism interfere with daily life? I know we've spoken about um, how if untreated, it can go on into adulthood. But what are those things that it could interfere with? Could it interfere with studying, friendships? What are those things? Oh, my gosh, everything. I mean... If you think about our lives, we talk in literally every aspect. Mm. So every aspect of that child's life, when they're in situations where they're choosing not to 
speak, it gets impacted. So when a child isn't communicating in certain situations, they miss out on a lot of developmental skills, a lot of social skills that come with just talking to people and being part of conversations. It also means that their academic skills tend to suffer a lot too because they don't often ask questions. They aren't necessarily participating in crucial discussions or group work or or a lot of these ways that we are encouraging children to learn. Um, mm. And it also impacts the development of friendships too, which, I mean, I think sometimes we don't realise the impact that our friendships have, not only in our social skills, but also in just feeling supported and confident to ask questions and to push ourselves and having that encouragement. If um, a child with selective mutism isn't comfortable enough to talk to people and therefore make friends, they're missing out on all of those opportunities. Absolutely. And friendships are very important at this age. I mean, we see it with children, how they gather around. And that's one of the things they probably look forward to going to school. Academics is one part, but that social interaction is big for children as well. Yeah, definitely. And that's it's one thing that I'm noticing with my experiences with selective mutism is there is a really big impact. And you can see that lack of confidence. And it's almost like a, a cycle because you don't feel safe and don't feel comfortable, so you're not talking and developing those friendships, which mm. means you don't have the support to feel safe and feel comfortable. Um, so it is really, really Right, okay. So how can we support children? I've lost or... you again. I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, yes. Right. Okay. So how can we support children or teens with a diagnosis of selective mutism? I think that my number one suggestion always would just be patient and be gentle. Mm. I think, think that when selective mutism is involved, it comes from anxiety and it comes from worry and discomfort. And so being patient and being gentle and being welcoming and open is the number one way that you can support any child that's experiencing that. There are also lots of other little strategies that I've learned, especially this year. Um, hmm. Things like meeting the child at their eye height, being as close to them as they need us to be when they're trying to communicate, um, providing alternative forms of communication. So that might mean learning about different apps and technology that you can use to talk with them or that they can use to communicate to you. Um, mm. Taking interest in their interests too makes them feel comfortable um, mm. and really, really welcome and accepted. Mm. And then teacher, I find that introducing them to activities and helping them slowly transition into activities is really important because it's not as overwhelming for them. And then accepting other forms of communication and assessment too as a teacher is really important because talking and presenting and things like that is not always a really comfortable option. Um, right. I, I think that if I had to really sum it up, the best way that you can support a child or a teen experiencing selective mutism is as a parent or a teacher to ask questions and seek training and stay open to all of the reasons and possibilities that come with selective mutism because the more that you learn about it and the more that you hear about other people's stories and read books written by kids that have it and the more that you become aware the easier it is to manage and support hmm. 
for patience and safety is a key thing as well, making them feel Definitely. safe. Absolutely. And would you say they benefit from professional help? Because I heard you say some of the strategies you've learned. So would that be any form of therapies being involved in that as well? Yeah, so while um, there's that everyday support around children with selective mutism and while that is crucial to helping them, I guess, improve or work through it, the main form of treatment for selective mutism (laughs) is psychological (laughs) and behavioural therapies. Right. So sometimes from what I've seen, that can look like play therapy. It can look like social groups, so being introduced into controlled and comfortable social settings. These kinds of treatments really approach selective mutism in a way that isn't threatening and it's not too confronting. Um, And, again, it's just about working through those anxieties. I mean, this is um, something that is rooted in anxiety and therapy is one of the best ways to help work through that, learning strategies, introducing yourselves into different situations honestly is the main way outside of school and outside of that everyday support that children with selective mutism get their assistance. Hmm. Absolutely that makes a lot of sense as well you know strategies and I like the play therapy as well so just quickly what's play therapy for those listening out there because everybody will say please play but what is play therapy? Yes play therapy uh, differs slightly depending on what it's for Um, but basically it's about using play methods and socialization methods to help um, uncover the issue that exists Mm, right so it's play but it's structured yeah yeah so it's it's structured it's play-based sometimes it would mean that the therapist is in the play-based learning situation with the child they're having discussions while there's play sometimes it's used as a little bit of a distraction Um, but play-based therapy it is literally what it sounds like it's just therapy while playing it seems to be less intimidating it seems to be more comfortable for children and when children are having fun and they're playing they're breaking down those walls a little bit too so when a therapist is involved in those situations, they're usually able to get more of an insight into what a child's problems are and they're really able to help explore those emotions um, and work through them and and provide strategies without Mm. the child necessarily realising that they're in a stereotypical therapy session, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense and that's the key word. Without the child realising they're in a stereotypical um therapy session because what we don't want to do again is for the child to feel like why am I here this is all you know so this is actually masking that therapy into something adapting it to the child's level as well and making getting things out of it but actually adapting it to the child as well yeah definitely and just again making it not seem threatening not seem confronting just seem fun and welcoming and inviting I mean especially in this situation that's the one thing that is so incredibly important is making the child feel so comfortable Hmm. and before we round up do children actually outgrow selective mutism yeah I mean I I did touch on it a little bit before and it does depend on the individual case 
Children can outgrow selective mutism, but a lot of the time it is with a lot of work and a lot of therapy and a lot of strategies. Sometimes there can be a clear breakthrough and they go from being a selective mute to one day not being a selective mute. Um, Other times it's a real gradual process. So they might start to whisper in situations. They might start to speak to certain people in situations that they feel uncomfortable in. So they definitely can grow out of it. But again, like we mentioned, it's all about getting that appropriate treatment. If you're not treating it, it Mm. gets worse rather than getting better. And I mean, that kind of sounds like common sense. But if you're not understanding what the underlying issues are, they can lead to a lot more serious issues as an adult, a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety and things like that. In saying it, it doesn't always work in the sense that children a lot of the time that's seen if it's connected to a disability and they really do struggle with that disability and that anxiety is there because of the disability um and then as well it just sometimes that's just how a person is and their selective mutism might improve over time but might not necessarily completely go away by the time that they're an adult it is still present in adults even though it's a lot less common um, it's definitely something that can continue on past childhood. Right, okay. So, but if it does go on past childhood, it's continuing those strategies through life as well. So it doesn't mean we'll stop those strategies as well because as they grow into adulthood, they might necessarily need that to transition into other places or other phases of life. Exactly. And again, it's about feeling comfortable and feeling safe in situations and a lot of the time those therapies continue for adults that still experience selective mutism just like as an adult with extreme anxiety you would more than likely seek some kind of therapy or treatment for that Um, and in adulthood there can be the possibility of medications and things like that to treat the underlying anxiety and therefore help the selective mutism but Mm. you're right especially for children even children that grow out of it those are so incredibly important to make sure that they don't fall back into that. Hmm. Thank you so much, Miss M. It's been lovely having you again. Um, any lasting I words? Being again. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you enjoyed <laughs> no. coming back. Oh my gosh, I love this so much. I love chatting to you on the podcast. Um, final words? I don't think so. Look, this year was my first year dealing with selective mutism and I have learned so much at the beginning of the year I knew the child that I have as the girl who didn't speak and now I see her as this complex little girl who has all of these interests and these amazing talents and all it is is that she doesn't feel comfortable at school but she has so much energy and so much passion for the things that she does and I now look at her when she's sitting on the floor in front of me and I look at her blank expression and I don't think that she's sad all the time or that something bad has happened. I just understand that that is how that she is. And I learned very quickly not to try and make her speak, but I've tried to be as supportive as possible. And now we're at the point where she can stand a metre away from me and whisper to me and I completely understand what she's saying and she feels comfortable enough to do that. So Again, just that support is so incredibly important and having that open mind, like I said in the last podcast, having an open mind is one of the most beneficial things you can do as a parent, as a teacher with learning disability, learning difficulty, 
because it honestly allows you to truly understand what's happening and to support that child the best way that you can. Wow, that's very, very impactful. Thank you so much. And I hope you have a great evening. Thank you. <laughs>